Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Princeton University Press Ideas Podcast, a joint production of Princeton University Press and the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with Emily Hund, author of the book, The Influencer Industry, The Quest for Authenticity on Social Media. Emily, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for agreeing to be on our show. (laughs) I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself. Uh, So I am a research affiliate at the Center on Digital Culture and Society at the University of Pennsylvania's Annenberg School for Communication. Um, I have been studying the influencer industry for the better part of a decade. Um, I, prior to beginning my research career, I actually worked in publishing. Um, and that was when I started to sort of witness the rise of sort of early bloggers, early influencers, and started to have a lot of questions about what, uh, digital creators, um, what kind of impact they were going to have on our media environment. And those questions drove me to, uh, pursue a PhD on the topic and, um, and then, Jumping off of my PhD research, I kind of dove right into uh, extending that research into a book project, and here we are. It is fascinating because the nature of the, the uh, of uh, your book is kind of an early history, maybe not the the, the famous you know history uh, 1.0 of journalism, but it's a bit more uh, developed than that. And, and yet, as you point out at the beginning of your book, you you in so many ways in influence industry has a very large prehistory. I was wondering if you could perhaps explain a bit about that prehistory to basically what what are the antecedents of influence and, and, and how can we think about influencing as something that has been with our culture and our society for really uh, hundreds of years? Yeah, so the idea of, of influence has been something that, you know, philosophers and thinkers have have considered for hundreds, you know, if not thousands of years, really. Um, And so it's always been um, a topic that has interested and captivated people. How are people influenced? Who is influential? Why are they influential? Um, These sorts of things. And then, so when I started looking at this, I, I found that in the early, um, 20th century is when we start to see a sort of shift from sort of more philosophical, I guess, uh, musings about influence to uh, influence becomes a subject of social scientific investigation. Um, In the early 20th century, um, you know, we have the the birth of the advertising industry and um, we have all of these things going on in the world, you know, the rise of fascism in Europe and all these concerns about propaganda. And, and um, so social scientists and, and, you know, sociology was a, as a fairly new discipline at that time as well. Um, and they start getting really interested in, okay, how do we um, isolate and analyze social, social influence? How is it that people, um, how, how do they get influenced? And so um, there's this burgeoning field of research that just grows and develops, you know, over the course of the 20th century um, and eventually makes its way into um, marketing and 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 then sort of mainstream conversations. And we and over time, these particular ideas about 
what it means to be an influential person sort of uh, develop. And so uh, there's this long, long history that I chart in the book of um, of ideas of influence and how they've changed over time. And then we also have some other factors that, that come into play. Um, that uh, that again, I, I get into in, de- in depth in the beginning of the book, but things like um, the so cultural factors like um, the rise of personal branding in the late 20th century um, and technological factors, of course, not not only social media, but um, even prior to that, just the um, the birth of the Internet and this whole idea that you can go online and self-publish. And there's this whole sort of technological um, history to people bringing influence online and developing this idea of, of digital influence. Um, and then in the early 21st century, um, of course, we have the sort of the, be- the beginning of the demise of um, journalism and, um, you know, publishing industries really facing a lot of problems that um, change advertisers' behavior and um, have advertisers looking for, um, you know, digital outlets that will presumably give them, you know, more bang for their buck. Um, and then the, sort of the last straw, um, as I look at it, as I look at it, is the uh, recession in um, the, in 2008, which sort of unmoored huge numbers of people from their jobs and from more, um, you know, traditionally planned career paths, if you will, uh, um, against the backdrop of all this optimism about these new social media platforms and the internet and um, this idea that you could go, you know, use these platforms to sort of like take control of your narrative and, um, you know, construct your personal brand online um, maybe even you know get work, make some money, and the and this sort of thing. And so the the recession really um, is the uh, you know like the last straw, like I said, that drove so many people online, and um, and ha- and then there, we see this rise of like the of the the digital influencer. That for me was one of the real revelations of your book was seeing just how pivotal the, the recession was. I mean, it, it was one of these things where in my mind I had this idea that there's this growing influencer industry and there were these events that were taking place, you know, at the same time. And I didn't uh, really appreciate the the sense of causation that, that you described in your book. I, I was wondering if you could perhaps uh, help us to understand exactly when you're talking about an influencer industry, what distinguishes it from the sort of, uh, you know, influence, uh, you know, marketing, uh, concepts, ideas, uh, you know, industry that existed prior to that period. And, 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 and and what were the parameters that you used in terms of defining it when you were undertaking your research and writing your book? Mm -hmm. So if you look at other industries that aim to influence, if you will, so, um, you know, I guess the closest corollary corollary might be just like the traditional advertising industry that you might think of. Um, There are, there are, so there are, of course, these other cultural industries that, you know, have a goal of sort of shaping our culture, influencing people to buy or to behave in particular ways. Um, But the influence, what makes the influencer industry uh, distinct, uh, uh, you know, they do overlap, of course, and they work together. But what makes the influencer industry distinct is the fact that they are using influence, um, as the sort of commodity that they're trading on. So they are literally trying to measure 
And so, uh, and I should preface this by saying that things have gotten much more, you know, sophisticated now than than they were 10 to 15 years ago when this was starting out. But uh, thinking back to those early days, they were literally, um, you know, trying to measure individuals' influence online. There was this idea that like, we can look at this person's followers or, you know, um, you know, their various engagement metrics online. And we can, we can literally say they are this influential and um, we can assign a value to their influence and then, and then we can give it financial value as well and say they are, you know, and then an advertiser or, you know, a brand can say this person is worth this much to me. <laughs> um, their influence is worth, you know, X amount of money to me. And so that what that is what really got it going as its own sort of distinct industry. And then we see all these different uh, entrants to the field um, who are all sort of uh, they're, they're sort of working together and they're also sort of tussling over this idea of what influence is, how best to measure it, how do we shape it into a product, uh, that we can, you know, understand and sell. That was one of the things I thought was most fascinating was the, as well was the idea of how you have this emerging industry and as you describe uh later in the book you you see how the the legacy industries uh that are associated with it are attempting to uh interpret it uh harness it uh understand it in, in various ways uh but before we get to that i, I want to get back to you know the, this this early emergence so could you uh could you perhaps elaborate a bit on uh how exactly it it, it looked as it emerged uh in the wake of the recession uh the the forms it took and 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 how it, exactly it came to become such an important dynamic in in uh in marketing and advertising in in in, in consumerism Sure. So prior to the recession, of course, bloggers had existed and, you know, people, uh, people were using the internet to self-publish generally in various ways, but these numbers were pretty small, um, all, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And then in the wake of the recession, we have, um, again, which kind of coincided with these different technological factors like the rise of, you know, Blogger, which is like a software that makes it really easy for people without technical expertise to uh, to set up blogs for themselves. And then, of course, you know, Twitter, YouTube, um, and then later Instagram, all these platforms are sort of just blossoming at that time. And so um, when there was this sort of uh, unmooring, like I said, of so, 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 so many people from their more traditional jobs. We see a lot of people start using these platforms and, um, with the hopes of managing their careers in some way. So something that really struck me, uh, throughout my research was how much every single person that I interviewed, and I'm talking, so influencers of varying sizes, you know, people with, you know, small followings of a couple thousand up to millions of followers, um, as well as marketers that I interviewed, people who work for brands, uh, talent managers, you know, all these different people who are involved in the influencer industry in some way. Almost without fail, I, every single interviewee, w when I asked them to tell me, you know, 
just, you know, their professional story, how they got to where they were, why, um, everyone would point back to the recession. Um, and this was consistent across ages, you know, um, and, you know, backgrounds and, and again, like I said, the jobs that they're currently doing in the industry, it was consistent across all of these. Everyone looked back at that time and said, um, well, you know, I was, I was just starting out and I, and I got laid off or I had been working for 20 years in PR and I saw that PR was dying and I, and I needed to do something else or, or, um, you know, all these different stories, but that was like the most strikingly consistent thread against, uh, across all of these interviews. And so people were, um, again, going, going to these platforms and saying, okay, I, you know, I'm out of work or I am un, I'm underemployed right now. I got to keep myself afloat somehow. I'm going to start posting. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start, you know, doing something to, let the world know that like, I'm, I'm still here. I still have, um, expertise in, you know, um, you know, my professional domain and hopefully I can like either, you know, get some consulting work or network with other people or something, or at least just keep myself, um, occupied while I am looking for work. Um, and so these early, um, bloggers and influencers really, um, uh, they really were for the most part, um, you know, blogging about their expertise or things that they were passionate about. And so, um, now that, that idea that like, oh, we do what we, uh, what we love and like, we're passionate about this. Now that has really, you know, obviously taken on a life of its own and we can get into that later. And I, and I get into that later in the book about how that, uh, you know, has, has sort of that narrative has sort of run away and become um, a little uh, problematic. But uh, that that early wave uh, really was, for the most part, people just trying to figure something out uh, to, to keep themselves afloat. And some of these people were uh, ended up um, cultivating, you know, sizable or really loyal audiences with um, with their um, posts. And so um, again, like several, several influencers who I interviewed who were part of that sort of early wave of influencers, if you will, they too had really consistent stories of, I was just blogging or posting or, you know, using Pinterest, whatever, to try to keep myself afloat. And then all of a sudden I realized I had this audience. And then before I know it, brands are contacting me and I'm, and I'm thinking, what, what, like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> uh, you want to pay me? Uh, and so, um, and so, and then, you know, of course, given, you know, given the economic circumstances there, uh, a lot of them said, yeah, but what a, what a great surprise. <laughs> you want to pay me for this? Sure. Of course. Um, and so, that um that was kind of what it looked like in the in the early days and you know like i said there was also this crisis in in print media and so advertisers were looking online like where can i um you know put my messages and um make it really you know worth my while and achieve my aims and so that's how they you know that's how they started you know looking at uh, bloggers and things like that and you know offering them deals and so that's kind of how this started out and it was very you know everyone was just kind of figuring it out as they as they went along um and then um by you know a couple years in um you know say 
you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, then we see, then it becomes, you know, more sort of well-established. Okay, there are these digital influencers, brands are working with them. That is giving these influencers sort of like clout um, in, in various other cultural industries. You know, at the time I was working in um, magazines. And so I, so the, you know, fashion bloggers were obviously sort of front and center um, for us there, but they, but um, you know, the bloggers across sectors were starting to, you know, gain clout and people were starting to say, okay, who are these people? Why are the brands paying so much attention to them? What's going on here? There's a, it seems like there's a lot of money changing hands or is there what's going on? Um, And then we see this rise of uh, sort of these, uh, influence marketing agencies who are, who then start developing, like just one is popping up every day. It seems like at that time, um, offering services like, Hey, we're, we are going to help you make these deals. We're going to broker the deals between, um, these digital influencers and brands, or, um, we're going to, uh, just help the brands like, you know, pinpoint what influencers to work with, or we're going to offer, you know, large scale sort of like measurement services or so there's all these different uh firms popping up under this sort of umbrella generally of uh influencer marketing agencies and they're all trying to sort of um find their niche and figure out uh how you know how they can get a piece of the pie and so that's when the industry really starts to expand in the early 2010s and um really starts seeking uh, first of all, it's growing just in size and in the number of people who are involved in the amount of, of money that is being poured into it. And, um, and um, yeah, and then it's kind of all these different groups that now we've got marketers, we've got brands, we've got influencers. Um, they're all sort of trying to um, work together, but also look out for their own best interests and um, also keep this thing going because it seems because it's you know seems promising and seems fun, <laughs> um, and so they're they're kind of starting to you know the wheels of the industry are starting to really you know kick into gear then. Yeah, that, that's the uh, it, it's it's so funny when you think about how it goes quickly from being something they do in their spare time to something that they have to put this enormous amount of of, of cultivation into, and that was one of the things you talk about it, it, when you're describing the influence industry is all the factors that have to come into play with that. How they have to think about maintaining, the, and, and this gets to the subtitle of your this sense of authenticity. They have to. It, it's it, it's it, it's great that they have this audience, but now they have to maintain it because now it's it's their livelihood. And, and and the challenges that that poses for them, right? That changes the calculus, and it and it and it changes the stakes of their work too, a lot. Um, and so, yeah, so that that really was the reason that um, uh, that a lot of these early influencers uh, audiences, you know, went to them as far as they can understand, as far as the influencers themselves can understand, and as they tell it is. Uh, you know, their audiences looked at them as they, they were real, they were authentic, they were just people out here, you know, starting um, blogs or YouTube channels or what have you about things that they were really into. And, um, and, um, and then, and so audiences were like, this is very refreshing. I, I enjoy getting my, um, my, especially, you know, in, a, in an industry like fashion, that's sort of, you know, elitist, closed off, very, you know, very hard to break into. 
uh, very steeped in, you know, privilege and things like that, all of a sudden it's, you know, there are these people who are offering like really smart commentary and seem much more um, accessible than like Vogue or something like that. Um, And so, um, yeah, so that, that drew a lot of people to it in the beginning but then of course then that becomes you know your your bread and butter it's like they 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 like you because you're authentic um and how do you maintain that and um and then really then when we start to see the this notion of authenticity sort of sort of become detached if you will um, <laughs> um and sort of take on a life of its own is is when um, the industry in that period when the industry was you know powering up if you will and um, and we have all these measurement tools and and selection you know tools for selecting influencers and, and things like that entering the space because now they're trying to um, take they're they're taking something that uh, you know this idea of authenticity which you know for pretty much throughout history, you know, we, we think of authenticity as a social construction, something that is sort of, you know, uh, evaluated and agreed upon, you know, in, in, in social groups. Um, and then it kind of becomes this industrial construction, which, uh, uh, you know, is the art, something I argue in the book, um, that it's, um, something that is sort of defined and given value by, um, these, these, these players in the industry and, you know, direct, it's directly tied to, you know, commercial value. One of the things you then uh, go on to address is how, as it grows and, and, and becomes an industry, how it begins to draw a, a great deal of uh, attention, how you, how you discuss uh, the, a, a few of the more uh, spectacular uh, controversies surrounding it. You uh, address the, this, this interesting question. I must confess I never really thought about it until I read your book, which is the notion of regulation. And, and then you also discuss how uh, legacy companies uh, tried or, or sought to, uh, you know, adapt uh, influencers in order to, to influencers in order to remain relevant. I was wondering if you could perhaps I- explain a bit about some of that backlash that, that influencers experienced in the 20 teens and, and also how uh, it was that in effect the, 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 the broader, uh, you know, uh, marketing environment uh, adapted to uh, influencers. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so up until, you know, the mid mid 2010s, mid to late 2010s, if you will, that I think of that period as a period where the industry was really, um, you know, just expanding, seeking efficiency, introducing all these new, new tools and processes, and also introducing, you know, people were just flocking to the space um, because, you know, we saw these, er, these sort of early influencers who seemed to be, um, you know, having a great time and making all this money and all that, that was sort of like the public face of the industry. And so that sent so many people, um, you know, online, you know, to these platforms, especially, you know, Instagram was just blossoming at that time. So there was just like this, uh, sort of glut of content. Um, and, um, and a lot of like aesthetic mimicry. So, you know, people who, uh, when it seemed like something, worked, you know, something was, got really popular on Instagram. A lot of people would sort of then try to mimic the look, um, to, you know, find their own success. Um, and, 
for the most part, this was, this was going on. And, you know, people who were, people saw it, of course, you know, regular users, you would, you would encounter the, the content when you, um, when you use social media and people who worked in the industry obviously were aware of what was going on. But as far as broad public awareness of the influencer industry and what, and where this content was coming from that we saw in our feeds, there wasn't a lot of like broad public awareness until um, the mid to late uh, 2010s when um, we had a, you know, a few, a few different things happen. Um, So, First, I think there was just like a growing shift that, um, you know, has been written about a lot about, you know, just sort of a people were starting to get tired of that, that Instagrammy look because, um, you know, so many, you know, an aesthetic had sort of like congealed (laughs) around um, what, what influencers looked like, uh, especially on Instagram, Uh, you know, really carefully curated, uh, really posed, um, a a lot of times almost looking like a, like a catalog, you know, from decades prior. Um, and, and this, uh, this still very much happens in the, in the industry today. Um, but at the time it was almost happening without much public, uh, critique, um, uh, or, you know, not, not, you know, widespread, I guess, uh, public criticism. And then, um, some things started to happen. So um, the FTC uh, started to get involved in the industry um, and they sent out, they famously sent out um, like warning letters to Kim Kardashian um, for, you know, not disclosing, um, not disclosing her partnership with a brand. Um, And that was sort of like a, a public moment that like, that public reprimand sort of started to bring it to people's attention that, Oh, there's something more going on behind the scenes here. There were some other moments like a, um, the Asina O'Neill who, <laughs> uh, who was like a huge influencer, uh, based in Australia. She had this, you know, sort of public break with influencing, um, where she, you know, posted these YouTube videos saying, you know, this is all fake. This is all a lie. I'm miserable. All, all things like that. Um, and then we had, um, you know, fire festival, um, that was probably, um, one of the biggest, uh, sort of public, public scandals related to the influencer industry when, um, we had, uh, you know, this, these people who ended up being, you know, sort of charlatans, if you will, who had planned, who had <laughs> planned this, you know, is going to be like the ba- the best music festival in the entire world. And it's on this private Island and it's all very, you know, aspirational and, um, elite and they get all these influencers, really like high level influencers, you know, like Kendall Jenner and, and, um, the Bella Hadid and, you know, all these sort of like super, super influencers who are also like models and did, you know, did other things. They got all these sort of super influencers to promote this event. They get all, they sell all these tickets to get these people to this private Island. And there's, you know, there's basically no festival. There's none of the luxury accommodations that were promised. There's, you know, even it was just like this total public meltdown that was covered like across this sort of broad, you know, media. Um, 
And that really brought to public attention that like there is um, there is a lot more to this, um, you know, sort of perfect looking content that is uh, that we see on Instagram. Um, and there is a whole sort of um, whole, whole lot of other people involved, a whole machine going on behind this content. Um, and that sort of those, those sort those, that series of events, which they all happen. And there, there was more too uh, that I get into in the book, more, more events, but there was sort of um, like, just like a in quick succession in, you know, about 2015 to 2017 or 18, a series of events that really broke um, open into, um, you know, public perception that um, the, the, that there is a lot going on behind the scenes um, to, to this content that we see on our feeds. And, and so you have uh and, and, and the Fry Festival uh, kind of is coming is at a point where you're starting to see the maturation of the industry, mm-hmm. and you're you're starting to see how you, because you we, we talk about you know how we talk about dinosaurs out there in the economy, and, and the reality is that these dinosaurs are not going to see this gigantic meteor coming and just and shrug their shoulders and shuffle mm-hmm. off to extinction. They're going to fight to survive, mm-hmm. and and it's and one of the the uh, interesting parts of your story is how they do adapt to the existence of the influencer industry. So rather than being replaced by it, they harness it in ways that serve their interests. Right. So in response to all of these issues, um, all the different, you know, participants in the industry um, sort of adjust what they're doing um, to to survive. Um, And um, so we see a lot of you know, advertisers sort of taking public stands and saying, we're not going to work with any influencer that buys followers. We only want, um, you know, people with authentic, you know, there's that word again, authentic following, <laughs> authentic audiences, what, um, you know, and we're, we're going to institute all these new processes on, on the, at the brand side to really ensure the health of their audiences and, you know, ensure that we're only working with, you know, the most authentic and, le- and legitimate people. And marketers are introducing like ever more sophisticated tools and people, you know, some are saying, oh, we're, we're going to start using, um, you know, artificial intelligence. We're going to start using all these new uh, ever more sophisticated technologies to ensure, um, again, like the, this, they often use the word like health or authenticity of our of our brand deals and and influencers interesting kind of um take another approach, which is, okay, I'm going to stop pretending that my life is perfect. Um, and I'm going to stop, um, you know, doing all this super, um, posed, um, super posed content. And I am going to start revealing a little bit more about like the behind the scenes of my work. And we, um, you know, and then we start to see, um, you know, influencers start, uh, you know, sharing more, you know, behind the scenes, sharing their messy houses, sharing their, um, and again, this is all, um, it's still constructed. I was, <laughs> um, and that is what, that is what, you know, the book gets into in depth is how this is all still sort of happening within, 
the, uh, you know, industrially set boundaries of acceptable forms of authenticity and who can, who can pull that off and what does that actually look like? Um, uh, but that we, you know, from a user point of view, you start seeing, uh, you know, people sort of sharing more and this dovetailed nicely with like the launch of Instagram stories, for example. So again, we have these other factors, technological factors, cultural factors, there's always more going on uh, behind the scenes that shapes the content that we see on our feeds. But this moment, um, uh, you know, was sort of a perfect uh, match for for the launch of, of Instagram stories. So people, you know, started just getting on Instagram and talking while they, you know, walk, took a walk or, you know, <laughs> made breakfast or whatever, and just got on and started talking directly to their audience. And that helped um, bolster their authenticity and sort of, um, you know, cultivate the sense that, okay, yeah, I do work with brands. I, I do, um, you know, have, you know, have a, a personality online that I, uh, that I'm, you know, selling it, uh, but, but I'm still a person and I'm still, you know, doing the best I can. And, um, I still want to do right by you, my audience. And so, um, so we see, you know, that really start to, that type of content really start to, you know, blossom in the, in the late 20, uh, late 2010s. Another dynamic that you see emerging during that period is the emergence of social consciousness. And, mm -hmm. and that was something that I, I found to be especially relevant given all the criticism you see in uh, the public discourse today about wokeism. And it struck me as I was reading that about how you can, there's very much of a, of a thread that you can take from that discussion today and tie it to how as part of that uh, image building, you, you see that desire for people to say, you know, I have this consciousness and, and this and this conscience and, and that I want to, and, and these are the values by which I stand and how companies themselves were having to make that adjustment as well to in, in order to uh you know present themselves as being part of this trend and and and, and you know connected and and and, and uh aware mm -hmm. yeah and so this was already yeah there was a thread prior you know kind of growing in the late 2010s as well like this sort of turn toward you know quote unquote, socially conscious consumption. And so we see, you know, the rise of a lot of brands, like I think I mentioned, like Warby Parker in the book, like brands were saying, oh, we are, you know, selling products, but we're also trying to do good in, in the world. And, um, and um, yeah, and so and, and things like that. And so there's sort of this turn toward people starting to try, you know, start conversations, I guess, about um, being slightly more uh, socially conscious in a way. And then, you know, like I said, we already had this, um, this shift and um, helped along by technological changes, people, influencers getting on stories, um, trying, you know, talking more off the cuff, this kind of thing. And then, um, which really sort of set uh, set the stage, I guess, if you will, for things to really change um, in you know 2020 and thereafter. Um, with um, you know, in the book, I look to like the sort of major earth shaking you know news events of that year uh, with um, obviously the pandemic starting, the murder of George. Floyd and the ensuing 
uh, protests and then the, the presidential election in the United States that year, um, it was a very, you know, heightened uh, an emotional uh, time um, in, you know, in our society and, and influencers uh, were kind of, they, they were kind of in this place where they had been trying to sort of cultivate their authenticity in a different way. Um, and then there was these things going on in the world that were all like just too big to ignore. Um, and, um, and so they, we see that like a sort of final <laughs> shift, if you will, um, of influencers starting to finally address, address, you know, topics of inequality, politics, uh, you know, all of these more socially conscious uh, subjects, which had been extremely, which they had, you know, they had kept themselves very distant from up, up to up to then. Um, and their um, their up in, up until the, you know the late 2010s, there there was pretty much an expectation that influencers be um, apolitical. You know, you're supposed to just create beautiful content. Um, don't talk about anything that can invite controversy. And this came from uh, different corners of the industry as, as well. Um, you know. It, influencers, you know, will say that, uh, you know, brands didn't want them to talk about um, anything that could invite po- controversy uh, because they need to remain, you know, they call it brand safe. You know, they, they need to keep their feeds something that brands want to work with. And so they are sort of de-incentivized toward um, speech, speaking their mind on um so, you know, social issues that they might care about. Um, and they also were beholden, you know, to their audiences and experienced, a, you know, a fear of uh, blowback if, you know, they, they said something that, uh, you know, said something controversial. And so influencers were kind of in this you know, they had to tow a very delicate line, I guess, um, uh, between, you know, showing themselves as, you know, uh, authentic, um, but not, uh, not going too far, it, it, you know, whatever, whatever that what might mean at the, at, the, at the time. And so they had been, you know, pretty, you know, pretty apolitical. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then things started to change. Um and they, we see a lot more influencers speaking out. We saw a lot more audiences too, um, sort of demanding of influencers. Like, why are you silent? Like, what do you, what do, are, what are you going to do about this? You know, mm-hmm. um, and um, and so uh, you know, the industry had to sort of navigate this this shift toward um, you know people generally wanting to talk about um, and address. Um, social, uh, social and political issues, and also, you know, do something about it. Tell me what your brand is doing um, to, um, to, you know, uh, address the, these issues. You know, we're describing an industry that uh, is now uh, 15 years old, roughly. And it's one at which we're starting to see some of the 
effects of it upon the people. You get into the cost of of the influencer industry in your final chapter. I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate upon you know what we've seen in terms of the price some people uh, have paid for this, and 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 the, and and how it is that influencers are 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 responding to this growing awareness of what being an influencer uh, can can entail in terms of negative costs. Yeah. So. Um... I I I, sh- I want to say that while the the industry um, uh, I <laughs> while the industry has sort of has you know developed in these in these particular ways and now we're in this moment as I was describing of like you know people sharing more than ever being you know more integrated into you know. I get, you know, I guess uh, they're just, you're, they are showing themselves as being, you know, integrated into in society in a way that they that they weren't before. Um, they are still dealing with, you know, the constraints on on their work, and there are still it's something that I get into in the in the final chapter is is how it has become clear that despite all of the changes and despite all the moves toward more alleged, you know, authenticity and things like that, there, the, the industry is still, you know, it is not free from like the, the ills that plague our society more generally. Um, and, um, you know, whether that be racial or, uh, inequalities or, you know, gender inequalities and, um, you know, all, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of issues. Um, it's not free from, from, from these problems. Um, and, um, in some cases it it can perpetuate them. And so, um, there are a variety of sort of costs, I guess, uh, of the industry. And, um, one of course, of course, which I think you were nodding to in your question, is the cost for the people who are are, are working in it, which is the the ta- the taxing nature of um of, of being uh, an influencer, um, which is it, it's true. It's a it's um it, while you know I it's it's hard to you know I to capture it's hard to speak you know broad strokes about every influencer because obviously they are they. There's a lot of variation in uh, what people specialize in and um, their, you know, how they how they earn their influence and, you know, what they, you know, their ethical, you know, uh, or compasses, I guess. There's a lot of variation. But in general, it is a difficult uh, thing to be an influencer because you are sort of expected to share your whole self um, and, um, and you're continually putting yourself up, uh, for backlash, whether it's from your audience or from brands, um, or, um, you know, just like weird things, <laughs> weird things happening. Like, uh, you know, I had a lot of interviewees tell me about, um, some like really frightening stories of, you know, being confronted in person, um, about, something, um, you know, it usually something kind of low stakes, like you, um, you said that you were open with us, but like, I, you know, it, you just, you like, you just, um, 
got married. So you hid your relationship from us. Um, like that was one story that someone told me and people were like angry at her for not, you know, not being open with about the fact that she was in a relationship. And then she shared, she got married and like dealt with like some really sort of frightening, um, attacks in the wake of that. Um, and, um, another, um, Another interviewee shared how like she was contacted by a follower, um, you know, who lived like thousands of miles away, who said that she um, saw her family photos, like the influencers family photos. Someone had put them like in a house that was for sale and like things like just a lot of strange, you know, things can happen when you put yourself um out there on uh like that and especially under this guise of like I'm being I'm being authentic um it there's a lot of uh vulnerability that comes with that and um and also um something that we haven't gotten into yet but I but I get into a lot in the book is the is the real imbalance of power um between you know major social media companies um and uh the and influencers and brands. Um, and so both influencers and brands are kind of operating under this, uh, these circumstances where they feel that, um, you know, everything can be taken away from them overnight. If, if the, um, if, you know, meta decides they're going to change the uh, algorithm or their terms of service or, you know, whatever, they could wake up tomorrow and they're, um, you know, their audience could be gone or um, something could change and this is all going to go away. So there is still very much like a sense of precarity in the industry um, that has been constant um, since its inception. Um, And um, yeah, and so, so yeah, so there are um, a lot of, a lot of difficulties and, and inequalities within the industry itself. Then, of course, we go, you know, take the longer view of the role of the influencer industry in, you know, society. And um, we see even, you know, even more impact. And so um, it's (laughs) it's it's hard to get into (laughs) um, on a a podcast. But, you know, um, they spend a a couple chapters um, on this. But um, yeah, something that is um, really on at the top of my mind now is um, is how this sort of the the current sort of forms of authenticity, uh, which is uh, you know just go on there, be unscripted, um, lot, you know, lots of video, whether it's TikTok or or um, Instagram Reels or or what have you, just get on there and talk and you know just there's this idea. It's like, Oh, I'm just sharing myself. It's, I'm just being, I'm just being real. I'm just sharing my thoughts about, you know, X, Y, Z, but that makes it so easy for, um, unsavory actors, if you will, to insert themselves, (laughs) um, in here. And so in the, uh, in the book, I get into how, you know, political groups have sort of started to, um, leverage, um, influencers and also leverage sort of the norms of influencing. So there's also sort of this, uh, bleed of influencer practices to 
to all of us. <laughs> um, and we're all sort of being incentivized and encouraged um, in various ways to behave more like influencers. Um, and, um, and that invites even more possibilities for, um, for, you know, misinformation to spread and, um, things like that. And, um, yeah. And so that is something that is, um, top of mind, uh, for me right now. Uh, well, we appreciate the time you've taken, uh, to spend with us, but, um, before we go, could you let us know what you're working on now? Sure. So I'm uh, really focused on seeing this book through. <laughs> um, and, um, I, you know, it's something, like I said, I've been working on for uh, really uh, the better part of a decade. And so I'm really focused on um, seeing it through. Um, but I think, you know, what, what I just said uh, about um, this sort of current version of um, – everyone's, everyone's an influencer and how, um, can different groups leverage that for their own ends, um, is, uh, what I'm, you know, turning my attention to for the next project. Well, it sounds like uh, an excellent follow-up, but I look forward to seeing when it comes out. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for your time, Emily. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too.